Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. The Mona Lisa was not always famous. Uh, nowadays, Leonardo's portrait of an Italian woman is the most recognized, most reproduced, and most parodied piece of art in the world. And I believe Edvard Munch's scream is a distant, distant second. But before the early 20th century, it was just another piece of Renaissance art. Uh, people certainly knew about it. They recognized it. It was considered to be a really good piece of Renaissance art. But before 1911, the Mona Lisa wasn't the pop culture juggernaut that it is today. It wasn't the be-all and end-all of art stuff. It wasn't an icon. The Mona Lisa became an icon in 1911 after being stolen in one of the most famous art heists of all time, an art heist that took the painting to its current level of fame, and an art heist that I think the Mona Lisa owes quite a bit to. The man who decided to steal the Mona Lisa was a guy called Vincenzo Perugia. He had worked at the Louvre for a few years, putting paintings under glass, and one day he went from dutiful employee to that museum's most notorious thief. Uh, Perugia, to carry out his plan, recruited two accomplices for the heist, and they began the theft by spending a Sunday night in a closet in the museum. And Perugia and his two other accomplices, again, they spent a night together in a closet in the museum, sounds smelly, they emerged on a Monday morning when the Louvre was closed. And at that point, 1911, the Louvre employees, they all wore a uniform. They all had artist smocks. And Perugia and his two accomplices, they were dressed accordingly. They looked like people who belonged there, and Perugia kind of was. And those artist smocks were key because they afforded them an opportunity to hide the bulky painting they were going to steal. The Mona Lisa, it's not the biggest painting ever, but it weighs 18 pounds. Uh, it wasn't painted on canvas. It was painted on slabs of wood that were pressed together. And that might sound odd to a modern person, but it was apparently fairly common in the Renaissance. Uh, on top of that, the painting was protected by a heavy glass box, the kind that Perugia would have installed throughout the Louvre. And it, that glass box weighed about 150 pounds. Also, in their potential load that they had to abscond with, was the large decorative frame that brought the total weight of the portrait and all of its accompanying baggage to around 200 pounds. So the painting, it was very heavy, it was very difficult to move, but it wasn't secured to the wall. It hung on four hooks, and if one could lift the 200 pounds of portrait, glass, frame, altogether one could unmoor the famous painting from the museum's walls and walk off with it fairly easily, as easily as one can walk off with a 200-pound object. So security officials, they were later asked about this, why wasn't a Mona Lisa, or any other painting for that matter, secured to the walls? And they said it was because of the potential for fire. In the event of a fire, they wanted to be able to actually take the valuable paintings off of the museum walls and run out of the building with them. And now I am imagining several Louvre employees running out of a burning building, maybe three or four people holding up these large 200-pound painting in boxes and frames and all of it. It does not seem like a practical plan. But Perugia, he crammed to 200 pounds worth of art under his smock, and he's walking with 
two other guides and are able to conceal the fact that he has this big, bulky thing under his uniform. He and his accomplices, they made their way to their planned exit at the bottom of a staircase, and they found their first real obstacle. The key that Perugia had secured for the door that would lead them outside didn't work properly. They had to work fast in order to somehow get out. Footsteps were coming. What Perugia did, he got out a screwdriver, and he began to attempt to remove the doorknob. As he was doing this, Perugia and his accomplices came face to face with one of the Louvre's plumbers. The three thieves, they were all dressed like museum employees, and what ended up happening was exactly like one of those scenes from a heist movie where it looks like the heist guys are about to get caught, somebody talks to them, and there's a very tense moment, and then they're able to successfully bluff their way out. Apparently, Perugia told the plumber that the door to the courtyard was missing a doorknob, wasn't that weird, and that somebody really should fix it. The plumber, he nodded and said, yes, that is extraordinarily weird that that door doesn't have a doorknob. And then, apparently, the plumber walked away, giving the incident little thought until later. Perugia and his accomplices, they walked through a pair of courtyards, into the Louvre's entry hall, and then out through the main entrance. Then, with the painting under their various smocks, they got on a bus and escaped. And that's it. That's how they stole the Mona Lisa. If anyone were to try this today, they would have to contend with motion detectors, cameras, lasers, klaxons, alarms, all of it. You would have to do some kind of Mission Impossible-style heist in order to actually get it. But in 1911, the Louvre on a Monday was guarded by around 150 people, and it's a gigantic building. At the time, it was also the largest building in the world, and it was very easy for a bunch of guys in workers' uniforms to just walk out with the merchandise. One witness is said to have seen the three men throw a small metal object into a ditch as they left. Upon inspection, it turned out to be one of the Louvre's doorknobs. After the Mona Lisa was stolen, the theft wasn't really noticed for some time. Uh, again, the Mona Lisa, it was not yet the big icon that we all think of it as. Uh, there was no panic when the Louvre opened the next morning. There was no sudden gasping at the empty space on the wall. Instead, the theft was noticed very gradually. Uh, at the time, it was customary for painters to hang out in the museum and make copies of the various works on the walls. Uh, the Louvre policy was that you could go ahead and set up an easel, get out your paints, and copy something by the old masters, just as long as your new painting was a different size than the original, so they could be, you know, easily told from each other. The morning after the theft, there was an artist who had been working on copying a painting that was in the same gallery as the Mona Lisa. And this artist, apparently he was a kind of fussy fellow, because when he saw the bare wall with just the four hooks protruding from it, he was annoyed. He was annoyed that the gallery was not just the way he liked it, with all the paintings in the right place. So he complained. Uh, this artist, he told the museum staff that he just could not work under those conditions. He needed all of the paintings to be there, and could they please, please, please put the Mona Lisa back up? So the museum staff, their first thought was that maybe the Mona Lisa was being photographed. The Louvre employed several photographers to document their collection, and they asked the photographers if they had the painting. The photographers said, nope, we don't have it. 
So the next thought was that perhaps it was being cleaned. Uh, paintings, they have dust accumulate on them. And the museum said, we'll go see if the cleaners have it. But the people in charge of getting dust off paintings said, nope, they didn't have it either. Eventually, when it turned out that nobody in the museum's organization actually had the Mona Lisa, they figured out that it was, in fact, gone. When they did finally, finally, finally realize that one of their paintings had been stolen, the acting head of the Louvre at the time, George Bendit, is said to have exclaimed, Elle est partie, or, en anglais, she's gone. Suddenly, Paris sprung into action. Uh, this was an art heist that got noticed. The Louvre, it was closed, it was searched. Authorities, they began rounding up probable suspects, which included, this is my favorite one, Pablo Picasso. Picasso, he had been known to purchase stolen art, uh, oftentimes so he could use it as a model, copy it, modify it, remix it in his own art. I just want to put in here that if Picasso had done it, that would be a much, much better story. I wish he had, for the sake of good narratives, but he didn't. Uh, docked ships, they were also searched. People were questioned at checkpoints, and the local press was a flutter for the missing painting. And this is, right here is where the Mona Lisa starts to get the reputation it has today. Suddenly, the missing painting was hailed as one of the most important works of art in the Louvre, and its disappearance, which, again, was initially unnoticed and took some time to finally be realized, it was a now a significant blow to Paris. Newspapers offered huge rewards for the painting's return, and hyperbolic headlines proclaimed that Paris had been startled and shocked by the theft. Uh, theories and suppositions about who stole the painting and why swirled around the popular press. I've already mentioned Picasso. Another kind of conspiracy theory that showed up around this time was that maybe J.P. Morgan did it. Or, more precisely, maybe J.P. Morgan paid someone to steal it. The guy had a huge art collection and stories about either him masterminding the theft or the thieves looking to him as a customer. Those were popular reading. They were also totally false. Uh, and despite the dragnet, despite the rumors, despite the hype and all the interest in the case, Perugia, he got through it all. He eventually made his way back to Italy with Leonardo's painting, where he kept it in his apartment, in a box, for over two years. You might think that he would try to do something with it, hold it for ransom, sell it to maybe an eccentric millionaire who thought it would be really cool to have, but instead he just kept it in a box. And there are two competing theories about why Perugia stole the Mona Lisa. There's one theory that I find believable, and there's another theory that I don't find believable, but is kind of fun. The first theory, and the theory that I actually believe motivated Perugia, is that he stole it for nationalistic reasons. Perugia was working at the Louvre making glass cases for all of these paintings, and he saw a whole lot of Italian works in not Italy. He found that irritating, and he decided to take it upon himself to repatriate some of Italy's artistic heritage back to, you know, Italy. He at one point was quoted as saying that he wanted to return to his homeland what Napoleon had stolen, but there's a bit of a problem with this theory, especially when it comes to the Mona Lisa. Uh, the Mona Lisa, no matter what Perugia might have said, was never actually looted by Napoleon. 
That would be a great story. And imagining that Corsican artillery officer blazing his way through Italy and stealing art and taking a moment to especially loot the now most popular piece of art in the entire world, that would make a very, very good narrative, but it never happened. No, Napoleon didn't take the Mona Lisa to France. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci did. Da Vinci, he worked on it for about four years because da Vinci was notoriously slow at painting, and he was never a very productive or efficient painter. Um, so when he was invited to France in 1857 by Francis I, by the way, I think it's sort of hilarious that France had multiple kings named Francis. It's kind of like if Scotland had a king called Scott, or if America Ferreira were to become president of America. Anyways, when Leonardo, when he was invited to France by King Francis, he took his work in progress with him. And Leonardo, again, never a productive or efficient painter, he later died while still working on the painting, two years after King Francis had invited him to, well, France. And the King of France purchased the artist's remaining effects after he died. So there was no looting or theft that brought the Mona Lisa to Paris. Had Leonardo maybe worked a bit quicker and not died while he was still working on it, and had the French monarchy not bought all of his stuff after he passed away, it would indeed have been in Italy. Uh, the portrait, known as La Joconde in France, hung in various places, such as Louis XIV's private art collection Versailles, uh, at one point a government office, at one point Napoleon Bonaparte, he did hang it in his bedroom, and eventually it hung in the Louvre. The point, though, is that the entire premise of Perugia's motivation, that it had been looted from Italy and was in France for shady reasons, that entire premise was false. Great going, Vincenzo. And I think this motivation, I think it's plausible. Nationalism, it's not a rational emotion. Folks who do things for nationalistic reasons don't tend to crack the history books before doing their dramatic actions. And I can definitely see Perugia as an angry man just assuming that France stole the Mona Lisa and never bothering to confirm it. And then stealing a painting. You know, for his country. There is another idea about Perugia's motivation that is a bit more out there and slightly more Bond villainy. And this makes for a better story, but I don't think it's true. So, the other story is that an associate of Perugia's wanted to use the original to make various copies. Copies of the Mona Lisa could potentially go for quite a bit on the art market after the painting was stolen. But everything I've read indicates that this is a fringe theory. But again, it's a cool fringe theory. The story is that a reporter for the Saturday Evening Post was hanging out in Casablanca with an international criminal playboy named Eduardo Marquez de Falfarino, who apparently explained his whole evil plan to this Saturday Evening Post reporter. Valfarino, if such a person ever existed, claimed to be in the business of selling artistic forgeries. Wealthy collectors, they would be told that a forgery was a real painting. And then the wealthy collector would say, but what about the original? It's still hanging in the museum. And Valfredo would say, no, 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 this is the original. The museum has hung a replica because they want to avoid a scandal. Valfredo, he would invent this whole story about how he masterminded an art heist and use that in his sales pitch when he was getting credulous millionaires to buy his copies of famous works of art. 
In the case of the Mona Lisa, though, the story goes, Valferino, and again, I don't think this person existed. I think this came out of the imagination of a Saturday evening post writer, but let's just go with it. He wanted this heist to look convincing. So, in the case of the Mona Lisa, he paid off a Louvre employee, Perugia, so that he would be able to say to his prospective customers, look, see, it actually was stolen. Don't you read the papers? Now right here, I have the original. But it wouldn't be the original. Perugia, he planned to make six different copies that he would sell to six different wealthy art collectors, all the while claiming that each was the original. No one has been able to confirm the story. No one. The only source on it we have is one article from the Saturday Evening Post from the 30s. But I do have to admit it is a good story. This is a narrative that I want to be true, even though it probably isn't. Vincenzo Perugia was probably just a single troubled guy who worked at the Louvre, who one day walked out with the painting with his two accomplices. But this story, this story makes the heist part of some kind of international art-stealing Bond villain subterfuge plot. If this version of the tale is ever confirmed, I will be thrilled. Perugia, though. Like I mentioned, he put the Mona Lisa in a box in his apartment. He didn't turn it over to nationalistic Italian art lovers, and he didn't try to make any copies that we know of, and he didn't even display it in his home. Eventually, he did the obvious sensible thing, and he asked for ransom money, after a fashion. Calling himself Leonard, Perugia contracted Louvre's curators and told them that he had the Mona Lisa in his possession, and he didn't claim to be the thief when he did this. Instead, he said that he just happened upon the painting, and because he was not a rich man, he asked for a mere 500,000 livres as compensation for rescuing this wayward work of art. Experts from the Louvre, they met up with Perugia, and he showed them the painting, and, of course, their first thought was that this was a forgery, that this was just some guy who was trying to put one over on them and cash in on a convincing-looking replica of the Mona Lisa. But the Louvre's catalog number, that was on the back. It checked out. But they were still skeptical. So they took it to Italy's premier art gallery, the Uffizi, and analysis confirmed that the cracks in the paint were consistent with the original. That would be very, very hard to fake. They had recovered the Mona Lisa. Perugia, who again had been calling himself Leonard and was posing as just a concerned citizen who happened upon some stolen art, was promptly arrested. At his trial, Perugia, he admitted to the theft and he held to his story that he was an Italian patriot who wanted to reclaim the works of Renaissance art from the French. And he said he chose the Mona Lisa because it was small and easy to transport, despite being, again, about 200 pounds. He was sentenced to just over a year in prison, which his lawyer talked down to about seven months. The Mona Lisa, it was briefly displayed in Italy to adoring crowds, and then returned home to more adoring crowds in Paris. And the hype and the excitement generated by that 1911 art heist has never really gone away. The adoring crowds have never entirely receded. Because it got stolen, it's still the most famous painting in the world. And if Perugia was indeed an Italian patriot, then he kind of sort of succeeded in his goal. He did not return to Mona Lisa to Italy, but he made an Italian painter, 
Leonardo da Vinci, the most famous painter in the world. And he made an Italian portrait of an Italian woman, the most famous painting in the world. He made his country's art synonymous with what we think fine art looks like and turned the Mona Lisa into an icon. In that sense, he did more than just return the Mona Lisa to Italy. He brought it a kind of glory. Interesting Times. It is recorded at the offices of Portland's own X-Ray FM. We are 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland, Oregon. Our engineers, Arthur Rosado. And I always like to say this is an ad-free podcast. We're entirely supported, 100% entirely supported, by our generous, generous Patreon supporters. If you want to become a supporter, go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support Interesting Times on Patreon, and do that. And I would like to thank, in particular, Ruth Ames for her continued support for the podcast. Thank you very much, Ruth. Your contribution is appreciated. Other guys, be like Ruth. Go out there. You know you want to. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. Please go there, like us. Also, let me know what you think. I appreciate feedback. There is a contact button on interestingtimespodcast.com where you can send me comments about the show. But even better than that, you can go on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of or less of. Um... I actually read all of those emails, all of those reviews, all of them, and really, really want to know what you think. So please do that. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.